Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. You know, our covenant with God is supposed to benefit the world. How many know that? Like we are salt and light. We are preservation and revelation of the way God thinks about the world. Like we teach the world how God thinks about them. In fact, it's so important that we realize that we are ambassadors from another world. So how we think, how we behave, how we make people feel is actually representing another kingdom. Do you know what I'm saying? I know this is maybe a silly illustration, but you know, um, I, I used to have uh, auto parts stores and auto repair sh- uh, shops and and the, the uh, guys and gals, they, we always wore uniforms, kind of like the UPS uniforms or just pretty much any uniform that you would wear. And I would, tell our, I would tell people when they got hired, when you have that uniform on, you are not representing you, you are representing me. I would tell the drivers, we had delivery drivers, I'd say, how you drive when you're in our truck with our logo is not representing you, it's representing me. And how many understand to a hundred times more important than that, how we behave, how we think, how our attitude, how we make people feel. How many you know people will they'll remember some of what you say, they'll, they'll, they'll remember more of what you do, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Like, we are not representing ourselves, we're representing another kingdom. What we think about that, like, how we think God wants him, himself represented matters. And so, um, and so I think that, you know, Jesus, I think, Jesus defeated the devil on the cross. How many know that? He was disarmed and defeated. On the cross. Some of you worship you. You got to just get broke into this right now. It'll get better. Trust me. It's like. um, But he's been disarmed and defeated. Oh, can you make that, that Kronos clock work? He's been disarmed and defeated. He has no arms or no feet. If he's in your swimming pool, his name be Bob. Some of you are running from a devil who's been defeated. I, I, you know, devil talk. I went to a church recently. They had devil shirts on. Not today, devil. Everything, they sang songs about the devil. By the way, wonderful church. I love it. I wouldn't wear the shirt. They're like, hey, you're in a conference. You want to wear the shirt? I'm like, no, it isn't not today, devil. It's no day. No day. And I don't, want to, I don't want to give the devil a bunch of attention, like I'm doing right now. That's an oxymoron. But I'm going to give him a little attention just for a few minutes, just so you know. The devil's defeated. But have you ever noticed sometimes it doesn't feel like he's defeated? Have you ever looked around the world and you see the stuff that's going around on in the world? Morality. You know, we have this craziest stuff going on in the name of science, in the name of kindness, in the name of love. We're just supposed to like, love, 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 love. And we're like, freaking Buddhists. Like jellyfish who have redefined love to mean, I'm just... I just agree with everything you do because I don't want you to be offended. Just okay, just do whatever. We just don't, when you come into church, we're just like, whatever act you perform 
Jesus is okay with it. And by the way, there's no real hell either. Yeah, that's just a, it's just a dump outside of Jerusalem, and you can do whatever you want, and there will be no repercussions. This is the new gospel. Makes you feel good, but of course, in the end, you go to hell. But anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> not true, but nobody's offended. Yeah. And we have Jesus, like, Jesus, we, we redefine Jesus. He's like a monk. He's going around kissing babies. Doesn't offend anybody. I don't, like, wonder if people actually read the Bible. Like, Jesus didn't, they didn't put Jesus on the cross because he was so nice. <laughs> just, like, offended everybody. It's like, oh, he just offended the Pharisees. No, he just offended everybody. Like the business people, his own family, his mom comes to a meeting late, and she wants a good seat, and they're like, hey, your mother's outside, and your brothers are here, and he goes, my mothers and brothers are the people who do the will of God. <laughs> like there ain't no reserved seats, get here first, you'll be good. <laughs> you want to come late, it doesn't work for you. <laughs> Disciples, Jesus is saying, say, says stuff like this to them. How long do I have to be with you? How, how long do I have to put up with you? Oh, ye of little faith. Peter, what spirit? The Satan's on you right now. <laughs> Satan, you know, first you had a revelation that I was a Christ, the Son of God, and I said, my father showed you that. And then you said, I'm not going to die, and Satan just jumped right on you. You Satan worshiper right there. <laughs> just don't want to offend anyone. Jesus is just so kind. Everybody's just so nice. This is new Christianity. Just let everyone run over you in the name of Jesus. We don't believe in war. Of course, the Prince of Peace is going to crush Satan on your feet. We're like, we believe in peace. Well, it happens at the cost of war. Oh, anyway, okay, well, never mind. I know, I'm, I'm anointed right now. I just hope I stay, stay here for another few minutes. No one's got up and walked out yet, so that, that's new for me. I, and and I, I just, I, I often, you know, look around and I think, wow, you know, the, for a disarmed and defeated devil, there's a lot of evil in the world. And evil is getting more and more popular. Isaiah spoke of a time when they will call evil good and good evil. So funny, I was in a newspaper this week, I guess, in, um, in another country, I won't tell you where, but they quoted me perfectly. They said, Chris Valentin believes that homosexuality is sin. I'm like, I do. <laughs> he believes that abortion is the greatest holocaust in the history, modern history. And per person sends us, said, they said all this bad stuff about you. Like, no, they're carrying my message. <laughs> I believe all of that. Like, they quoted me perfectly with a bad attitude. I'm like, that's amazing. They're like, this is why you shouldn't have them around. I'm like, this is why you should have me around. Because I got the guts to tell you the truth. So, 
I, I'm not like, I, I, I do believe we should love everybody, and I believe no matter your condition, you should be loved. And by the way, if you're in the world, how many know, I don't have any problem for people that you're in the world. So if you're sinning, how many know you're a sinner? <laughs> you're a professional. Uh, you know, and, and I was too, so uh, I just don't want us to normalize sin. Let's, let's, let's not hate people for it, but let's not let them normalize it because then our grandkids and our great-grandkids are going to deal with a monster that should have been destroyed on our watch. And the, uh, by the way, let me be clear. So don't mis- I'm not talking about people. So don't misquote me. I'm not talking about monstrous people. I'm talking about this spirit that is in the world that tells people lies and they embrace it. So, so, so funny. And uh, uh, things, you know, evolution is a great example. Like, you know, do you understand that there is a spirit called origin that redefines the origins of mankind? The spirit, the word rulers is actually the word origin, and it's redefining, it's actually redefining mankind. It says you didn't come, you weren't created in the image of God. You're just the evolutionized ape. Oh, was that a baby? Or maybe it's just a fetus. I remember we used to ask if it was a boy or a girl. Now we have to ask, is this one human? <laughs> it's kind of funny. In a, not that isn't funny, but I think evolution is really funny because people are like, do you believe in the Big Bang Theory? I'm like, they have to steal God's matter just to get the bang. <laughs> They're like, well, the way it happened, and look, at, I don't have any problem with that, but as long as you have to acknowledge that there's a God who gave you matter. Because, see, even if you believe in evolution, you still have to come up with matter. Then you have this other problem, like, if matter is dead, you have to figure out some way to make it alive. I haven't seen anybody make a rock live yet. (laughs) It was just matter. As a matter of fact, that's stupid. And you can make it sound really intelligent. It's like, but it happened over billions of years. Oh. <laughs> do you ever have anybody say, how did that happen? Like, how did you, like, start out as an amoeba, and then you, you know, you slithered out onto the shore, and then you built this building? <laughs> and by the way, can you imagine me saying, like, this building, nobody built this. It just happened. I drove, I'm driving a Corvette. How did that happen? Well, Volkswagens, just two Volkswagens got in an accident and a Corvette drove out. <laughs> That's stupid. Oh, but it happened over billions of years. <laughs> so as soon as you say billions of years, we all think, well, billions of years? I mean, you factor in Volkswagens. I mean, over billions of years just makes it sound so logical. Oh, it happened over billions of years. So sorry. So sorry. These are all things where just like, like if you believe this, if you don't believe this stuff, you're like an idiot. You're like, those religious freaks, they believe in God. It takes a lot more faith to believe there is no God. Can you imagine like seeing this building like there was no builder? 
Well, the problem is, is you don't want to have a relationship with him, so you try to make him go away. But he's there all along, just like a song. Somewhere in the back of your mind. My, my oldest son at one point said, I, I don't believe in God. Are you offended? I said, no. He said, why? I said, well, if you didn't believe in gravity, would it make it go away? He said, no. I said, but when you jump off a roof, you're going to have another revelation, aren't you? <laughs> I don't believe in God. He believes in you. So um, anyway, okay, so we should say something scriptural. Uh, so <laughs> Psalms 2, why don't you turn there for a minute? Uh, and this is uh, me kind of looking out over the last few months at what's going on in, in the world. Being in the Capitol building last week and talking to a whole bunch of political people about moral issues that are happening in California being involved in the transgender issue with children who they want to let mutilate themselves at the age of 13 and 14. And these are, and, and having the Supreme Court and our political people get elected because they believe this stuff. And just going home, I, I was going home the other day, this is coming home from the Capitol, had spent the day with some friends who are political people and they were just telling me all, that's, all this bad news, you know. And sometimes you just, you know, you just like, you just got to have a Holy Spirit break. Because you start looking at all this stuff and you're like, we're losing. Wow, how can this get so bad on our shift? This is on our shift. And, and I, I, I got home and I was, I was honestly, earnestly spinning. Like, I think I was one of the most faithful people in the room, but earnestly I was taking some hits. You've probably all been there, I'm sure. And I, and I uh, just felt like I should read Psalms too. And honestly, I, I don't read the Psalms every day, so I really don't know one from the other, except for maybe Psalms 23 or a, a few that you would probably remember. I just felt like I was supposed to read Psalms too, and I earnestly didn't remember what it was about. And uh, I, I, it was refreshing to me. It says this, Why are the nations in an uproar and people devise vain things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us, tear the fetters, let, us, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. They're like, we're going to get these guys. We're going to kill them. The Lord's like, <laughs> that is so funny. You are so cute. And he just scoffs at them. You know, he scoffs, he just teases them. It's like, And then it says, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them with his fury. As for me, I've installed my kingship on Zion, my holy mountain. Like, like David saw, I'm, I'm protected. I'm staying over here. And he says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son today. I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession. Unlike that. And I started thinking, you know, I think, uh, I can't remember who read this. I think it was Benny this morning. Yeah, Psalm 73, when it was, it was talking about David and how David was looking out over the earth and he, was, and he had this revelation that all the, bat, the, the unrighteous people, all the people who didn't know God, all the evil people who hated God, they were all prospering. 
And he starts complaining, God, why are the right, why are the wicked prospering and I have all these problems? And then it says, and then he came into his sanctuary. Then David says, then I came into the sanctuary and I saw their end. And by the way, we're not talking about the end of people. How many of you know that God loves all people and the devil hates all people? So we're not talking about like, hey, we, let's not like the Republicans or let's not like the Democrats or not, let's not, let's choose some person. How many of you know as soon as we start hating people, we're working for the dark side? The, the, the powerful thing is, and I, I'm not going to tell all this story tonight, but the powerful thing is, is that David, one of the things that David was known for, he's famous for a man after God's own heart, and, and uh, he needs the presence of God in the city of God. You can read this in 1 Samuel, and he decides to take the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. Now, for those of you that maybe don't know exactly what the Ark of the Covenant is or what it means, it was actually just a big box. It was a big, beautiful box, kind of had gold inside, and and it had three things in it. It had the uh, Ten Commandments, the stones that the Ten Commandments were written on. It had Aaron's rod, uh, almond rod, and uh, it had manna. It had some manna in it. Um, And people say it represented the presence of God. That's actually not true. It didn't represent the presence of God. Actually, God had covenant to be in the box. Now I know people come up later and like, God wasn't just in the box. I know he wasn't just in the box, but he's definitely God in the box. Are you with me? And so they would take this box, this Ark of the Covenant, the priest would carry it on their shoulders, and they would take it into battle, and Israel would like, yes, the presence of God is with us. And, and, and most of the time it worked out good because they'd have a lot of confidence because the box was with them. But sometimes they wouldn't serve God and they'd carry the box. You know, that's called what? Religion. Like, people go to church, but they don't actually follow Jesus. <laughs> they call themselves a Christian, but they live like hell and won't think they're going to heaven. This is the box ministry. And so they carry the box into battle. This is a one, one time they did it. I think it's in 1 Samuel 5. And they carry the box, and the Philistines, like, beat them up and take their box. <laughs> It was a real bummer, except for the Philistines all got hemorrhoids. <laughs> so they take the box to a city, and all the people in that city get hemorrhoids. Listen, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I looked up the Hebrew, and it means hemorrhoids. And so, and so they're like, well, maybe it's a coincidence. <laughs> they take the box. <laughs> he got it. He's the only one tonight that's connected. They take the box to another city. And they all get hemorrhoids. Listen to this before Preparation H or anything, anything like that. And so pretty soon the box gets connected to the hemorrhoids and they're like, oh, don't take the, no, no, no. Don't bring that box in our city. And so, and, and, you know, they don't know what to do. So, you know, God bless them. You know, they're, they're all heathens. And so they make golden hemorrhoids. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they offer them to God. I don't even know what they look like. I don't think. <laughs> moving on. <sighs> moving on, moving on. So, so it didn't go well for them, and uh, ultimately they gave the box back. But <laughs> they, they set the box up in, uh, in their god's temple, uh, Dagon. Dag- Dagon. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to know the story. You probably know why they call him Dagon. <laughs> hey, Dagon. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, I'm sure it's some deeper thing in Hebrew. But anyway, they put the Ark of the Covenant in there because they're kind of like, we need a no hemorrhoid zone. So they put him in this, in this, this temple. True story. And, and they get up, but they, they go in the morning, and Dagon's, he fell down. <laughs> Just, you got to read your Bible. Some of you look like you've never heard of this before. Like, you're like, he's either crazy or this is in the book. It's in the book. And so they, they set Dagon up again. Oh, shut up. I'm not even going to tell you the story. They set Dagon up again. And the next morning they go in and Dagon fell down again, but this time he lost his head and his hands. And then they're like, well, we got to get rid of this box. So anyway, they gave it back. So it was good. And David's trying to get it into the city of God. And that's another really long story. But he ends up putting it on a cart instead of being carried on the priest's shoulders. All these you know, things that they were supposed to do, which, uh, which are actually a beautiful teaching. And a guy dies trying to get it to the city of David, so David doesn't know what to do. And so he takes it to this guy's garage, puts it in this guy's garage, just like, we can't go very far, who's close, who knows God? So they're like, okay, take it to Obed-Edom's house. So they take it to his house, put it in his garage. And here's what it says. This is in the Bible. Uh, Oh yeah, 2 Samuel 6. And uh, they, they, they take it there and they put it in his garage and it says that everything in Odebedum's house was blessed. It says, and everything in o- that was there for three months and it says, and everything in Odebedum's house was blessed. His kids behaved. <laughs> Him and his wife got along. I mean, he had money. Well, he had... That's a prosperity gospel, but he paid his bills. <laughs> his cows made it and had sheep, or, or, or sheep had cows, whatever. Everything went great. Well, the sheep had sheep and the cows had cows. I figured you'd know that. But anyway. And David said, we got to get that. we got to get the presence of God back in the city of David. You know what's beautiful about that story? God doesn't live in a box anymore. He lives in you. Do you know that the ark's parked in your driveway? It's not a metaphor. The ark of the covenant is parked in your driveway. Like what happened in Odebedum's house is happened for three months is happening in your house every day. You were called to be blessed. You were born for glory. You're like, oh, oh, I don't want to steal God's glory. First of all, let's be clear. You ain't that big. Okay? Like, can you imagine God like, I'm so insecure. Eric's stealing my glory. You're not that big. Not only that, but how many of you know that when Jesus prayed in John 17, part of Jesus' prayer was, Father, the glory you gave me, I want to give to them that they may be one. You can't steal something God gives you. You were born to be amazing. Okay. 
So we're in this world and we're in these times and seasons. And we have to ask ourselves, like the sons of Issachar were famous for two things. They understood the times, the times, and they understood what Israel should do in the times. Okay, now follow me. You got to kind of stay close for just a couple minutes. I want to explain some things I feel like the Lord's unraveling for me. So there's two words in the Greek for time, for the word time, T-I-M-E. There's two words. One is chronos. Chronos, we get our word chronology. It's a clock in a calendar. It's a, it's, it's, it, refers to, it refers to seconds, minutes, years, and it's relative. And, and I want to talk about chronos for a moment because... We, we tend to live in this chronos time. Let me just tell you, let me contrast it for a minute, and then I'll tell you more about kairos. The other word for time is the word kairos. And it doesn't have to do with chronology. It's not, measured in, it's not measured in minutes, seconds, days, years, seasons. It's measured in divine encounters. So our life... Most of our life is actually, I mean, even though we love Jesus and we, we're, we're all, you know, he's always with us, most of, our time, most of our life is actually spent in chronos times. It's, um, it, it's, it's and, and we know that time is relative. So we think about, think about this thing, thing we live in time. And remember this, that Jesus doesn't live in time. You know when it said uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God he uh, created the heavens and the earth, and then uh, it says that in, in Genesis, I think it's verse 6, it says that he separated the day and the night, and I'm sorry, he separated the light and the darkness, and he called it a day. How many understand that God, and it was, it was four verses before God created the sun and the moon, how many understand God was creating time? God doesn't live in time. God lives in eternity. God lives outside of time. Does this make any sense? God lives in eternity. God created time. We live inside of time. God lives outside of time. I'd like to propose that one-third of you lives outside of time. I don't mean like one-third of y'all. I mean like the spirit man in you does not live in time and space. You are an eternal being. You actually live outside of time with God. You, you have been already raised up and seated with him in heavenly places. Like, how could that happen? Well, see, you don't know how that could happen because you're thinking inside of time. You're thinking in finite when you're actually infinite. When you received Jesus Christ, you became, you went from a finite being to an infinite being. You became an infinite being. You became eternal. You received eternal life, past, present, and future. You stepped out of time and you stepped out of the time zone, and you stepped into the timeless zone. Are you with me? So in, in, chron, in Chronos time, uh, we, we, we say things like, um, well, let, me, let me put it this way. If a doctor said you have five minutes to live, how many know that would not be much time? You think, well, I don't have much time. But if I gave you five minutes to walk across the street, it might feel like that's forever. I, I'm saying... Time doesn't change, but our actions relative to time change. Are you with me? And we tend to measure, okay, see you can follow this thought for a minute, because it's going to make a difference when we talk about Kairos times. We tend to measure time not by the actual passing of time, 
but by what we experience in time. So I, I heard Bill say this the other day. I don't know if he's quoting somebody else. He said, I knew I'd get old. I just didn't know it happened this fast. So we say, um, gosh, you know, uh, life passes so quickly. We're saying, let's say we live to be 80, I, it 100, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that when we say time passes quickly, we're comparing our birth to our death, not our birth to a billion years that the planet's been here. In other words, our conscious life on earth, say, takes up 80 years, and as we use up those years, we say, oh, t- life is short. Life is only short because we're measuring it inside of chronos. I'm just trying to explain to you, like, these are all chronos ideas. We live in time and space. Well, I'm 60. What if I only live to be 80? Well, three quarters of my life is over. Oh, life is so short. Life isn't short. It's just that you're measuring it by your experience. Are you, are you with me? Okay, well, there's a bunch more I was going to say about that. There, there are things that are congruent in chronos times, like that we do to be congruent with chronos times. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, the idea of losing weight and going to the gym is a tw- late 20th, 20th and early 21st century idea. Because in history, fat was a sign of prosperity. Uh, if you don't believe me, just look it up in the Bible. Like, like, think about Daniel as an example. So we all think of Daniel like slim and trim, good-looking guy, and maybe he was. But remember that the, the, the soldier who was assigned to take care of Daniel was concerned about him eating vegetables because he's going to get skinny in the presence of the king. So he ate the vegetables, and you remember, I forget how long, he ate them for a week or two. How many? Ten days. And he got fat. Why? Because the king didn't want skinny people around him because it was a sign that there wasn't enough food and there wasn't prosperity in his kingdom. So all he wanted all his servants to actually be fat, not skinny. Kings were fat as a sign that we have more than enough. The people who were in good shape, they were the laborers. If you were in good shape, it was because you were laboring. You might be breaking bricks or carrying things. It wasn't a sign that you were amazing. It was a sign that you were slave. I, I, I had a, a guy over my house. He's actually a good friend. And, and uh, he was working at my house, and he, and he took off his shirt. We were working together. <laughs> I don't take mine off anymore. <laughs> a lot easier. Turn off the light before you get in bed, you know? The guy was totally ripped. And I was like, <laughs> dude, how many days a week do you work out? He goes, I've never worked out. I just have a job. <laughs> he's a cowboy. No, I mean, he's a cowboy for a living. I'm sorry, I, I'm not kidding. Like, he's actually a cowboy for a living. He's totally ripped. I'm like, how, how many days do you go to the gym? He thought that was funny. So I wouldn't waste my, mind, my, my money going to the gym. I get paid for this. What I'm getting at is that 
there are things we do to be congruent with chronos. Now we have an epidemic in first world countries, right? We go, everybody's too fat. <laughs> Get the idea? Too fat. We have too much food. It's too easy to eat whatever you want. You can get whatever kind of food you want, any day you want, and most poor people in first world countries can eat what they can eat, pineapple in the winter. You didn't even get that. You can eat pineapple in the winter all over the world. You realize that's a phenomenon. First, you have to grow the pineapple. You can't grow pineapple in the winter except for it's summer somewhere else. They have a tropical culture somewhere else. And then you have to put it on a plane. You have to get here before it rots. It's like there's all these things that happen so you can have pineapple in the winter. I'm saying you can freaking eat whatever you want. That's why we're all fat. We're not fat because we're poor. We're fat because we're rich. And the world is getting fatter. They're getting fatter and fatter. And people are like, they don't want to be fat anymore. Like, you want to go to the gym so that... <laughs> so funny to me. It's like, why don't you just not eat as much? I say, oh, no, I want to eat whatever I want. <laughs> then pay to work. And then go to work and complain about having to work so hard. It's <laughs> so crazy. It's totally in to go to work and not work hard and then go to the gym and work hard <laughs> running in freaking place. <laughs> what did you do today? I ran 30 miles. No, you didn't. I watched you. You didn't go anywhere. That little screen you were watching, oh, I ran through the forest. <laughs> you, you didn't. You didn't run through anything. You did nothing all day, and you went to the gym and went nowhere and spent a whole bunch of energy doing it so people will be good with you not being fat. My problem is I was born in the wrong century. Or on the wrong planet, like on the moon, I only weigh 70.2 pounds. I checked the other week. I have an interplanetary ministry. I'm saying, okay, so you're like, where are we going with this? I'm saying we have chronos ideas about time. We think about time, we live in time, and we are congruent with chronos events in time. In the Old Testament, heavy people were blessed people. But in the 21st century, I'm not being funny now, that because we, I'm saying, uh, I'm gonna make a, a point here, but we are, we, we actually have events that happen in chronos time that we are supposed to be congruent with. We're supposed to behave a certain way because of the chronos time we live in. Are you with me? When the sons of Issachar became famous, this is 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The sons of Issachar were famous because they understood the times and they understood what Israel should do in the times. He's not talking about chronos. 
He's not talking about, in my silly example, fat people and skinny people. Oh, it's time to be skinny and you're, you're fat. It's, he's not talking about those kind of times. He's talking about a whole different kind of time. He's talking about Kairos moments. I want to tell you a little bit about Kairos. Kairos is, is uh, quantitative. It measures moments, the right moment, the opportune time, the perfect moment. It's actually when divine, divine favor meets divine opportunity. When divine favor meets divine opportunity. Um, it's all through the Bible. Uh, these Kairos moments are all through the Bible. Times, uh, if you read um, Daniel 7, it says that there was times, times, and a half time. He's, in those instances, he's not talking about chronos. He's not talking about a clock and a calendar. You'll notice he doesn't even mention how many years they were because he's talking about Kairos time that doesn't measure years. It measures moments, <laughs> right? So time is measured on a clock, but life is measured in moments. So when it says that the enemy, Daniel 7, it says, and the horn ruled for times, times, and a half time. You're like, how many years was that? He's not talking about Kronos times. He's talking about Kairos times. Are, are you following me yet? Am I making any sense? Okay, there's three things that mark Kairos seasons. Uh, why am I telling you all this? Because I believe we're in one. And here's the challenge. If you don't know it, you'll miss it. You'll act Kronos because you don't know about Kairos. So you'll do what Kronos people do, missing the total event that this is a moment in history. When I say moment, it's not measured in time. So it could be 30 years. It could be 30 seconds. It could be three, it could be three seconds. It could be 100 years. You with me? Because it's not being measured by how long it takes place. It's being measured by the effect it's having on humanity. And the reason why I took all this time to explain the difference is because most of us are so uh, trying to be so congruent with Kronos, as I shared my funny example. We're always trying to be congruent with what's, 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 what's everybody wearing right now? What's everybody doing? What's the cool lingo? What's the, what are the millennials doing? What are the, what are the Zs doing? What are, what's happening? And we're, we're so, we are almost obsessed with what is happening in Kronos, and yet it's not Kronos that changes us. It's not Kronos that changes any of you. It's Kairos. And the challenge is you can get so, upset, so obsessed with the clock and a calendar, it's a little bit of a metaphor, that you miss the opportunity of God when he opens up a vortex and he says, I'm in this. Okay, so let me give you uh, three uh, symptoms of Kairos. One, acceleration. Things that normally take years happen suddenly. Um, a miracle, let's say you have cancer and you went through treatment, and even though it's not terminal, the doc says, hey, this is going to take two years of treatment. And then you, you get one treatment, and you come up for prayer, and you go back, and it's all gone. What happened? That's not a Kronos moment. That's a Kairos moment. It maybe only lasted a few seconds, but God interrupted the normal, in, we'll say normal, the common treatment that you're having. He interrupted the length of it, and he goes, oh, we're just going to do this in a minute. Um, 
Okay, number two. Unusual, uh, uh, one of the signs of Kairos moments. Unusual occurrences, things that never happen, occur against ridiculous odds. And number three, supernatural interventions. The way things come about makes no earthly sense. I'm saying, when you, when you start to sense these things, you're like, stop the calendar sensitivity and, and, and get on the Kairos ship, if you will, and begin to connect with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what, is, what am I supposed to do in this Kairos moment? Because remember, it says the, under, the sons of Iskar had two advantages that no one else apparently had. They were famous for understanding the times and they knew what they should do in the times. Those are both talking about Kairos. They didn't just know they were in one. They knew what they were supposed to do. Are you with me? Some of the tension lies in we get in a Kairos moment, but we're controlled by Kronos. What is everyone going to think? What's everyone going to think if I do this differently? If I act, behave differently? If I embrace this thing? You see what I'm getting at? Is that we have to be able to step out of that for a moment and say, I'm going to follow this because I, like the sons of Issachar, I understand that that's the normal thing to do. I'm not maybe even opposed to doing the, the, the Kronos thing, but I do realize that something shifted and I'm going with it. Um, here are some examples that come to my mind right now. I go buy a house on a 30-year loan. Kronos, anything wrong with that? No. I mean, you know, you can, if you have the job and you have the money and you can pay the payment, it's all good. Are you with me? It's Kronos. It's not evil. It's not good. It's just in time. I take out a loan. I get put down 10%, whatever. I have a job. I can pay for it. I pray. God goes, yes, do it that way. I'm like, what am I doing? It's not supernatural. It's just the natural process of life. Then I have an encounter with God. Or maybe instead, I have an encounter with God. God goes, I'm going to pay for, you're going to buy a house. You're going to look at it on, on Friday. I'm going to show you what house it is. You're going to make an offer on it. God, I have no money. And I'm going to pay for it on Wednesday. What just happened? You just moved out of Kronos. And God goes, I, that's not evil. That's the system. It's, not, it's okay. Jesus even said, to the man who buried the talent, you should have put it in the bank. You would have got interest. Nothing wrong with the banking system in this case. But God goes, I'm doing it different. How many of you know, if it's going to really happen in your life, you're going to have to step out of that. And you're going to have to go, we're doing this. Well, no, that's not the way it's done. Oh, <laughs> I am very aware the way it's supposed to be done. Sometimes people think you lost your mind. Like, there's something wrong with you, you lost your mind. You don't know it's not supposed to work that way. No, understanding that Kronos works this way and understanding that that's okay, but I'm not supposed to do that right now because I have a vortex to catch. I have to step into that moment. So Sometimes you have to brave things to step into those moments. We all know. We could, I could spend the whole evening talking about that. Nehemiah's walls, I've preached this so many times. I actually love the book of Nehemiah. I feel entrenched in the book of Nehemiah right now. I feel like Nehemiah's wall's story is the hope of our nation right now. But, but just to give you some hope, 117 years the walls were torn down. They tried to rebuild them for 72 years. And with the same team, the same crew, the same builders, Nehemiah rebuilt them in 52 days. He didn't bring in other builders. 
the same people who were trying to build them for 72 years actually rebuilt them. He became, Nehemiah, became, get this, a Kairos conductor. Write this down. The Lord just spoke this to me tonight. He said, you are going to be a Kairos conductor. You're going to understand the times, and like Nehemiah, you're going to stand in the times, and they're going to be like, this is 30 years. You're like, oh, no, no, no. We are in a Kairos moment. Things that don't normally happen, happen, but things that do normally happen, happen much faster. Are you with me? Kairos moments, uh, Jonathan's uh, story of Jonathan the armor bearer. We're not going to go through the story, but if you don't know that story, two, you know, for 40, I'm sorry, for 39 days, Israel's pinned down. Their enemies are, are much outnumber them as usual. It's kind of Israel's story all the time. They're always outnumbered. And for 39 days, they're terrified. And then Jonathan, the king's son, says to his armor bearer, can the Lord save by many, but not by few? And the armor bearer goes, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. He's kind of like, if we die, we die. And they go out after the army, and this is a, a much longer story, but they go out after the entire, I, th- I, I think it was the Philistine army, whatever army it is, they go out after this, arm, this enemy army, and two guys end up defeating the enemy's army. <laughs> and they're chasing them through this valley, and the Israelites wake up, and they're like, where's John? And they look over the hill, and John and his armor bearer have the entire army running from them. And like, maybe we should help. (laughs) And it's just a beautiful story of a Kairos moment when God anointed two boys to do it differently. How many know that the normal way you fight, and Jesus talked about it, he said if you have an enemy, and you're, you're an army, you... Count your army, you count their army, and if their army can defeat you, you go make peace with them. So how many know that's Kronos? I see your army's bigger than my army, and I'm like, you like fudge? (laughs) But I'm saying, but are you with me? I'm saying, this isn't evil, it's normal that we live in Kronos times, but then suddenly God goes, he anoints Jonathan, and he's like, John, can I save by many, but not by few? And all of a sudden, John realizes that we're not going to do the Kronos thing. We're going to do the Kairos thing. And he turns to his armor bearer, and his armor bearer gets it too. He's like, yes, God's on us. And then, I love this part, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan says to him, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're down here in the valley, and they're up there on the mountain, and we're going to say to them, hey! And if they go, hey, wait there, we're coming down. He goes, we're going to run for our life. God's not in this. But if they go, hey, come on up here, we know God's given them to us. I'd be the opposite. I'm like, they claw their way up to the mountain. God's given them to us. I'd be freaking out. What a beautiful picture when God goes, yes, normally I want you to make sure your army's stronger than their army if you're going to go to war. Then God goes, but we won't be doing it like that today. I love the story in the book of Gideon, don't you? Judge, I mean, the book of Judges with Gideon's story. And God says, you know, he, he, you know the story. He calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. 
Gideon's a total wimp. He's totally terrified. And Gideon's answer is, well, if God is for me, then how come we're having all these problems? And the angel goes, God isn't just for you. God is in you. You are a mighty man of valor. And then the, the God has the, the people shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Who's a complete chicken? <laughs> and then, you know, finally all these men come around Gideon. Gideon's like, oh, good. Well, at least we're only outnumbered, you know, four to one. And then God goes, you got too many people. And, you know, all the way down to 300 people. And then God goes, okay, that should do it. Now, here's the plan, Gideon, come over here. Okay, you're gonna get some jars, some candles, and some trumpets. You notice anything missing? Like swords, spears, bows, and shields? And he goes, what you gonna do? You're gonna get up on the mountain at night, and you're gonna light the candles, You're going to blow the trumpets. You're going to break the jars. <laughs> I'd be like, have the three of you talked about this? Like, this seemed like a really bad plan. And you know the story, they do exactly like the worst battle plan ever. Like if there's only 300 of you, you at least want the element of surprise. And God's like, no, you're going to get up on the mountain. You're going to light the lamp. You're going to let everyone know where you're at. You're going to blow the trumpet. And you're going to break the jars. Can you imagine, like, telling the guys that? Okay, guys, here's the plan. I'd be like, does Gideon have a relationship with God? Is, is he talking to the right guy? But how many know, like, the sons of Issachar, Gideon understood the times, and he knew what he was supposed to do, although it wasn't relevant to Kronos, it made total sense in Kairos. Sometimes God transcends our understanding of covenants. Like, for instance, Matthew 5, 43, Jesus said, you heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, be like your father in heaven. Who makes it rain on the righteous and unrighteous? And by the way, Jesus repeated things like that all the time. If your if your enemy, if he, if your enemy slaps you on the right cheek, give him your left, and so on and so forth. Very passive, right? We feel like Jesus very, very is being very passive, and 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 so and we say in the New Testament we live in Graceland, like Jesus died for the world. Jesus is not judging people's sins, at least not till judgment day. And we, we live in this time where we're giving people grace. We're loving our enemies. In the Old Testament, God did not let it rain on the unrighteous. But how many you know, in the new covenant, he made it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God does good things to people who don't know him. God does pe good things to people who hate him. God loves his enemy. This is a new covenant. And then in, and then Acts 12, God kills a king, King Herod. Just kills him. We're like, how do I explain that? He just killed him. He's just dead. <laughs> Sometimes we want to change our theology because God made an exception. And I'm saying, I call these Kairos exceptions. God is blessing evil kings. He's telling, Paul writes in, in Romans during the days of Nero that we should honor kings 
and those in authority. He tells Timothy to pray for kings. These were all evil kings in the days of, of Timothy and Paul. He saw them pray for them, honor them, love them, love the kings who hate you. And then this king, King Herod, he puts James in jail. No, yeah, he imprisons James and then kills him. He doesn't get, God doesn't wipe him out for that. He puts Peter in prison and, and is going to kill him. He doesn't die for that. And then, he's, and then one day he's, and for 12 years, he totally persecutes the church, destroying Christians, locking up the leaders of the church, killing them. And God doesn't do anything about it. Seemingly does nothing about it. And then one day, the king gets up, and he's preaching. He's giving a speech. And the people start saying, a God and not a man. And the Bible says, the angel struck him, and he got eaten with worms, and he died right there. You want to explain that? I don't. I'm saying, suddenly, God... So when I'm saying... The reason I bring this in is because Kairos moments are when God interrupts time and space and does what God does. It seems like it's outside the rules. It's like God can't do that because here's five reasons why he he did. Like he defies gravity. He does a miracle. He makes... You know, uh, Ezekiel fly through the midheaven. These are all, you, are you with me? Like he's defined the normal everyday, the, the laws of physics that he set in motion, even the laws uh, of the kingdom he set in motion, and he's God, and he just goes, he's dead. And you're like, okay, uh, how do I work that out? And the challenge is when we try to work out Kairos things with Kronos theology. Here's another, even more disturbing one. How about this one? How many have heard the sermon about Ananias and Sapphira? And think about what's happening. It's the early church. People are selling all their possessions. They're laying it down at the apostles' feet. And think about this. This is kind of a Kairos, Kronos moment, right? Because people really are selling their things. God's not like producing money out of nothing. He's not multiplying food. He's not fishing for gold coins. It's like people are actually doing chronos things, good things in time. They're selling their possessions. They're giving, get this word, all of their possessions. They're not selling their extra stuff. They're not selling their extra car. And by the way, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm saying they're selling all their stuff. What's happening? They're in a kairos moment and they're doing something that probably couldn't be reproduced again without another one. And this Ananias and Sapphira, they got a piece of land, and they sell it, and they, let's say they sell it for 20 grand, and they bring 10,000, or maybe they even brought 18,000. We don't know, but what, they, what we do know is that, they, is that they sold the idea that they were doing what everyone else is doing, because everyone was giving all, and they pretended to give all when actually they didn't give all. And what happened? Peter said, is this, what did you sell the prophet for? They said, oh, 10,000. He said, oh, you didn't lie to me, you lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't think Peter knows he's gonna die. Why? Peter's the most famous liar in the Bible. <laughs> he didn't lie about how much he sold something for. He lied about knowing Christ three times after he was warned by Jesus himself. He's the most famous liar in the Bible. I don't think he has any idea Ananias is gonna die. 
my thought, this is just my thought, I think he's about to correct him when the guy drops dead. Then obviously Sapphira walks in and he asks Sapphira, he gives her an opportunity, what did you sell the property for? Well, I sold it for 10000 You're dead. How many of you would be dead in this room if God killed you for lying about something like that? I think, I think everyone, but except for Eric and I. And I don't know about Eric. How many of you have ever lied in here? Please raise your hand. Absolutely. You're still here. You know why? Because you didn't lie in a Kairos opportunity. See, they didn't, I don't think they went to hell, by the way. I don't think Ananias and Sapphira went to hell. I think God goes, you're, you're done. And the reason is, is because, <laughs> did that sound funny? Sorry. That was not supposed to be funny, but okay. What I'm getting at is this. God was building a foundation of honor, trust, and generosity. He was doing, you know that spirit I said, that there's a spirit called, uh, called origins that defines the origins of life? Well, there's also that same word origin is used for Paul's first preaching. He said to the Philippians, in my first preaching, the word origins, it's the exact same word, origins. The word first preaching in English is the Greek word origins. Paul was laying the foundations for Christianity. It was generosity. It was trust. It was honor. Are you with me? They didn't just break. They didn't just lie. They misunderstood the times. And those times create incredible um, risk if you miss the opportunity. I'm not saying you're going to die, by the way. Very bad time to say that. I'm saying you're not going to get what you were supposed to get if you miss the Kairos moment and you think it's a Kronos moment. And this is my opinion, so I'll probably get killed for it on Facebook, but I think if they were in a Kronos moment, they probably still, they still would have been alive. They misunderstood what was really happening. They just thought it was about looking good. How many of you have ever wanted to look good before and maybe weren't totally honest about it? Or how many of you have ever said to your friend, they go, hell, we'd love to have dinner with you, and you don't really like them. They're like, yeah, we'd love to get together, and you walk away, and you're like, I never want to get together with them. My people have ever done that. Come on, let's be real. But you wouldn't want to do that in a Kairos moment. You wouldn't want to do that in a Kairos moment. If God said you were to get together with them, you wouldn't want to fake that you wanted to when you did it. Are you with me? We were in a Kairos moment in history. I'm not sure if you know it. A hundred years from now, they will write about this day we live in. Things that weren't possible are suddenly possible. Things you never thought you'd see, you are suddenly going to see. Shifts some of them will manifest in shifts like political power as we saw in the days of Herod. I, uh, by the way, I'm not talking in any way about killing people dying. 
I really, this is serious. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm saying you're going to see shifts in political. What you see in L.A. right now with the earthquakes, I think there's a, and by the way, I, I think, I'm not talking about destructive earthquakes, but I think the tonic plates shifting is a sign. I think we're going to see big shifts in California. What they said couldn't happen, it's going to happen. I think that it, it's um, always interesting uh, if you read the Bible, what causes these, well, oh, let's say this, God causes, always causes the chronos moments. Let me say that. God always causes the chronos moments. What motivates God to cause those moments is very interesting in history. Sometimes it's an act of faith by a human. Other times God acts outside of human, just like, it's, it's like God just sovereignly goes, I'm going to do this. And, and people who resist him, like Pharaoh, God goes, oh no, you don't understand. I'm doing this. <laughs> God goes, I give you free will. Then God goes, okay, now you don't have it. <laughs> now, is, do we normally have free will? Yes. Do you normally, would a king, a Pharaoh normally, like, have plagues for not letting his slaves go? No. No. But then God goes, I'm taking away your free will. Is that his norm? No. But he's God. And he goes, you will not stand against me. I am not asking for your permission. I'm saying sometimes Kairos moments happen through the permission of man. Like God, like somebody says, God, help. And God goes, okay, I'm going to rescue you. And you, whoa. This. But then other times God goes, I'm doing this. You're coming, you're coming, you're coming, you're coming. I don't want to come. Oh, this is not the time. We're not talking about volunteerism here. <laughs> and what I'm getting at, and the reason why I'm taking so much time to try to explain this, is because this is such a serious situation when you're in this other dimension and God goes, do this, and you act like you're in Kronos time, and you're like, no, no, you don't, you don't have permission to say no. I was uh, prophesying over somebody. I won't tell you who it is. Uh, I'm going to have to really disguise this. So I was prophesying over this man. Uh, I was, well, the Lord told me, this is uh, 16, uh, 14 years ago. The Lord said, fly to this city. I had met this man before. He said, I want you to prophesy over this man that he's going to be governor of his state. I'm like, okay. He's a business guy. I didn't know him very well. I mean, I know him to say hi to him, and I, he went to a church I preached in. So I maybe saw him twice, and we had a few conversations. Nothing deep. I mean, I didn't really know him. I, I wouldn't have known how he was going to respond. So I'm like, I flew there, and I had lunch with him, and I said, um, so, and, and he said, I, I can give you one hour. So when I called to see if I could get a meeting, he said, yes, I can, I can give you an hour. I think he thought... I was flying there to do a conference, and can we have lunch together? But I was actually just flying there to have lunch. And, uh, and I went in and talked to Bill about it. This is like real early on, uh, 14, 15 years ago. I had never done anything like that before. And Bill's like, yeah, just do it. You know, let's, the church will pay for your flight, and just do it. So I get there. I'm super nervous. I have lunch with him. He's very kind to me. I tell him the word. He goes, I have no desire to be in politics. I'm like, I don't actually know what to do. Like, I've never really done this before. I'm like, okay. I know I'm not supposed to manipulate him. 
And, you know, and, and Bill taught us early on, like, once you give the word, it's not yours. So don't, you know, you know, so I know all of the rules. I just flew there. It's a long ways to go to, like, to have someone respond like that. And, I, I, and again, I didn't know him, but I thought, well, certainly the Lord did all this. He's going to, like, give him a willing heart. But he didn't. So anyway, and, he said, and, and he's looking at his watch. You know how that is? Someone keeps looking at their watch. Like, you know they're in Kronos, right? He's not, definitely not feeling it. So I'm like, all right. Uh, I'm disappointed. He, so we've been an hour, and he's like, I, I, I really have to go. I'm like, yeah, thank you very much. I'll take you back to the, um, I, I was staying in a hotel. I'll take you back to the hotel. Good, thank you. And, and so when he gets up to pay the bill, we're at this cafe. The Lord said, tell him that I'm going to also make him president of the United States. I'm, I'm thinking, the first one didn't go well. <laughs> he just said, I don't want to be in politics. So I'm like, oh, goodness, I am pouring sweat. So he, sit, you know, he sits back down. He, he goes up there to pay the bill, and the lady doesn't have the bill, and he has to sit back down. And he's waiting for the lady to bring the bill, and he's, you know, he's obviously eager, anxious. And I go, well, I have one more thing to say to you. He's like, uh, okay, obviously, you know, let's go. What is it? I said, the Lord said that you're going to be the president of the United States. And he goes, really? I said, uh-huh. He said, you know what happened to me? I was eight years old when Nixon was debating Humphrey and watching it on TV. And he said, a voice said to me, you better watch this because someday you'll be doing this. And he said, last year I went to the White House. No, he, he's a business guy. He went to a conference in D.C. And one of his friends, is, I don't know how, serves the president or something. And he said, and his friend said, would you like a tour of the White House? And he's like, yeah, I'd like to see the White House. So they get to the White House and the president isn't there. So he actually gets to go in and see the Oval Office, which doesn't happen very often. So he goes in the Oval Office and this is, he's telling me a story. And he says, and I, he said, can I sit in the president's chair? And the guy goes, I don't, yeah, I guess so. So he sits in the president's chair and he says out loud, I could do this. And he says, then I said, where does the president go to the bathroom? He took him in the president's bathroom. And I took him around and he said, I left the White House and I'm like, oh. And he said, then my friend gave me a book with the president, and it was, a pre, it was President um, Bush, first President Bush, no, uh, number two. President Bush, a, a book about President Bush. And he, he took the book and he, he said he got on a plane to go home and he looked at the back of the book and it's President Bush, that's a picture of him walking away with his dog. And he has the same exact dog. So he reads the book and the dog's name is the same name as his dog. Now, that's not meaningful to me, to me but it is to him. And, uh, and so, so I'm like, okay, this is going better. And then he says, then he kind of comes out of his telling the story, and he goes, but I have no desire to be president of the United States or to be governor or to be any other politician. I will never be a politician. Okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm not sure what to do now, for sure, you know. So we both get up, and the girl brings the, the bill finally, and we get it all signed. Now he's like 15 minutes late, and, he's, and the Lord said to him, to me, Tell him I'm not asking him. Now, this is not the way I've been trained prophetically at all. 
So I leaned over and I, I, I sort of grabbed him on the shoulder kindly. And I said to him, the Lord told me to tell you that he's not asking you, he's telling you. And the Lord says, and, like, and I don't talk like first person, and the Lord says unto you. I don't do that, but I did it. I said, the Lord says, if you don't do it, you will change the course of sovereign history. And he isn't going to let you do that. He sits back down in his chair, cancels all his meetings, we're there all day. As he weeps through his Kairos moment. Because he understood, not originally, but he understood that this was not a Kronos idea. This was a Kairos idea. And he had no choice in the matter, as weird as that sounds. I don't even know if I believe that theology, but I know it happened. That man became governor this last term. And I'm not even going to tell you who it is. But he's going to be president of the United States. You know why? Because God said he is. And you know what happens? When God's involved in a political race, you're like, doesn't God put everyone in office? I don't know if that's true. But I know when God decides he's going to put someone in office, we go by this rule, the lot is cast, but the decision belongs to the Lord. The law is cast. If I told you some chronos things that happen right now, some of you would get up and walk out because you can't separate your opinion from God's sovereign will. And you think that the person who God puts in office has to be perfect or at least has to be a strong believer. And I'd propose to you that God said of Nebuchadnezzar, he's my servant. When I studied the book of Daniel, because the Lord told me to, and I realized that Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant, I realize if God puts Nebuchadnezzar in office and he destroys Jerusalem and tears down the temple and God goes, he's my servant, I don't actually know how God thinks about things. But I know one thing, when God says, I put that man in office, I put that woman in office, I go, I'm good. We've had people in office the last 15 years, the Lord gave me prophetic word, I'm putting them in office. I argue with the Lord. I don't want to tell you who because it'll become a political thing. I'm trying to teach you a different thing. And the Lord said to me, you don't know how I think about these things. And until you do, I don't want you to pray about it. So now I'm like, Lord, who? I'm putting him in. But okay. Because God looks at life from eternity. And he may have that person as president for the way it's going to affect four generations from now. May have little to do with what's going on right now. Because God knows the beginning from the end. I want to end with this scripture. Solomon said this. God has put eternity in our hearts. Without which, no one can know the ways of God. No, the works of God from the beginning to the end. Let me quote it right. God has put eternity in our hearts without which no one can know the works that God does from the beginning to the end. If you think in Kronos, you will miss many things that God did and that God is doing because you don't realize that sometimes God interrupts the normal flow of life and says, I'll be doing this. And you 
won't be having an opinion about it, except for mine. Now, think about the thing I said 10 minutes ago. We are in a Kronos moment, Kairos moment. You have opportunities you've never had before. And we have an opportunity to shift the course of history. It's shifting right now. If you listen to the media, you will completely miss it because the media only knows Kronos. You have to look with different eyes if you're going to catch the wind of what's happening. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you understand the weather, but you don't understand the kingdom. I want, to, I want you to stand. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you don't have to stand yet. I'm going to have you stand, and I'm going to pray this Ecclesiastes prayer over you that God would put eternity in our hearts. Because I believe there are people sitting here, in fact, as I was telling that story about my friend, I feel like there are people here, you're in this Kairos moment where God's told you to do something and you've taken it a Kronos way. And I want, to, I want you to know that normally, normally life goes, you make choices, God gives you free will, and he said to me, you know, my, my most, if I have a famous statement, history will tell us if you believe me, that's God saying, I have a will for you, but I'm going to let you choose. But there are other times when God goes, we're not doing it that way. We're doing it my way or the highway. Those are the two options. You have no other choice but to do what I tell you to do. And when we're in those seasons, it's important that we understand not the seriousness like things are bad, but the seriousness like things have changed. Let's make sure that we get in the flow of what God's doing. Use the eyes and ears. Use our eyes and ears. Our, our spiritual eyes and ears is what I'm trying to say and making sure that we're congruent with the season we're in and the times that we're in. Okay, now stand. Okay, I want you to actually put your hand on your heart as a prophetic sign. I pray right now by the authority that the Lord's invested in me in this message alone that he would put eternity in your heart. That right now, those of you, maybe, you're, maybe you've been listening and you're like, I've never actually been in a Kairos moment or I missed every one of them completely. And no condemnation. I mean, you're literally like, I, 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 I hear you intellectually, but I don't actually know what you're talking about. Lord, I pray, especially for those people, that you would increase the intensity of their understanding and their hearing. And I pray that you would put eternity in their heart so that they will know the works that God does from the beginning to the end. And I pray that nobody in the sound of my voice and people who are watching by Bethel TV, people in the overflow room, I pray that every single one of them would receive an impartation to understand the times and the seasons and that this group of people would be called the sons of Issachar people. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.